0: Right. Well, good evening everyone. How are we doing? <laughs> Praise the Lord. a uh, couple uh, couple I got a couple announcements for us all. Uh, we are about 10 days out uh, from our Dunamis conference with Dr. Rob McCorkle. And again, uh, I believe uh, you know who was blessed last uh, Sunday with Maddie Montgomery who was here. And I told a lot of people I was like this is going to be a dynamic night. You really need to be here. Then they're like, "Man, I was skeptical, but that was insane." I'm like, I know you think I'm lying. I'm not a hype man, right? So I truly can say uh, in the same vein, it will be a very dynamic three evenings that we have with Dr. Rob and his team and uh, very privileged and honored to have him with us. And we'll also be having simultaneously uh, in the Children's Center, uh, one of his associates will be doing a, a children's conference as well that will be on similar topics. So Um, I believe God's going to deposit good seed in us, and these are three nights you really don't want to miss. So if you can be at any of the nights, uh, we really uh, encourage you to sign up online. Spots are filling up, and we do not want you to miss out on that. So please go and do that. Uh, And then secondly, um, Pastor Jamie is our children's pastor here. Everybody knows him. You know him? He's amazing. Hey, Jamie, raise your hand. Come on, can you, can you get up and do a little dance? No, I'm just joking. Um, Pastor Jamie's been here, but we feel as the church is growing, the organization has been growing, uh, we feel like God is actually calling him to move into a new position within River House where he'll be overseeing the staff and a lot of different um, things that are very needed within the church at this time, which... Means we are actually uh, opening a job search for a uh, children's minister. And so uh, we wanted to announce that to you first. Um, there will be a, a information on the website, um, and you can send an email and get a link, I believe, or something to uh, the application, so if you or if anyone you know is interested in uh, putting your hat and putting your foot forward, uh, go ahead and do that. This is an exciting time, and we also ask that you would just be prayerful uh, as we engage in this pursuit of looking for the person that God has anointed to pour into the children of Riverhouse. So uh, we take our children's ministry serious. So we just, uh, thanks for your prayer, and uh, we'll be interested to see how the Lord moves in this process. So um, that's all I have. I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump into the teaching tonight. So Jesus, I thank you that you are speaking I thank you that you have spoken through your word. I thank you that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, God, that it is inspired by your spirit, that it is uh, profitable for teaching and exhortation to find guidance to bestow wisdom upon us, and I ask God that you will do just that tonight, and that you will breathe upon us, Jesus, and open our minds to understand your scriptures in ways that we have not yet, and enter into a deeper maturity in the things of God. Lord, we want to be a community that is rooted and grounded in the word of God, and I ask that you will not only open our minds, God, but that you will open our hearts and put a love of your scripture within our hearts tonight, God, in a way that we have an insatiable desire to know you and behold you as you've uh, revealed yourself through your word. We pray tonight in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, who was here two weeks ago? All right. Why weren't you here, the rest of you? Come on, tell me. (laughs) <laughs> so I started two weeks ago a message uh, that will be a, a little mini-series here called People of the Book. And uh talks specifically about uh, the importance of Scripture and that we as Christians are to be a people that come under the authority of the Word of God. And uh, the Word of God being this five-act play uh, that has been spanning across generations. And the five acts of this play are uh, the creation of man... The fall of man. We uh, are actors, Jesus, and now the church of Jesus Christ. And we uh, are actors, improv-ing, improv actors at the fifth act of this play. And if we are to be uh, adequate and skilled improvisers, we must be rooted and grounded with a deep, knowledge of everything that has gone before so that we are then primed to operate in a way that is both a new expression but then consistent with the story. Does that make sense? So if we're to be effective in joining the story of God in in the earth today, we must be rooted and grounded and deeply versed in the nuances of the scriptures. We cannot underestimate the gift that God has given us in the Bible. And these scriptures are that which have both birthed and now govern the church of Jesus Christ. So we must ourselves be underneath this governing authority. I believe, I was in, had a conversation just uh, in the lobby between the last service that, I, I didn't articulate this, the other services, but I believe, you know, God God can only trust authority to those that he knows are under authority. And I believe that God is bringing us as a community. He's desiring to trust us with more of his presence, more of his anointing, more of his favor. Yet, he's first wanting to bring us under the authority of scripture so that we will be able to process and interpret everything he speaks, the, the fullness of his spirit within the purity and the, and the grounded uh, humility of his word, really. And so so, we're, we're in a process of coming under the authority of Scripture, and I'm very excited about the implications of what God is doing in this community uh, in these days uh, with this topic. So, uh, I'm just going to offer uh, a few thoughts as I begin to help contextualize even what I'm going to share tonight and uh, just some of my own thoughts. Um, Wrestling, and then we're going to jump into a a, a sermon tonight that will be more intellectual. There's your disclaimer, so I would really, really encourage you if you have a a journal and a pen to take good notes. And if you don't, you can listen to it on the podcast online. Um, But this will be one that uh, it really notes are essential for, Uh, that's why I have them. So, uh, as I was uh, studying, I think it was this Thursday, I spent the entire morning I was reading, I have a number of books that I'm, I'm working through right now, and uh, they're, they're pretty thick and heady and academic, and I found myself hours into this reading, uh, and I was just like, Lord, am I wasting my time doing this? <laughs> that was just my thought. And I immediately just, the conviction of the Holy Spirit met me, and he said, if you believe that the Word and the Spirit are one, how can you think you're wasting time? and i in that moment it was like i saw my own prejudice that it's much easier for me to engage in the things of the spirit want to see the spirit move and manifest and the gifts flowing and god and having encounters with god and it's, it's, I would never think I'm wasting time versing myself in that type of activity, and yet for some reason when it comes to study and intellectual study of the Word of God, that was my questioning. And I just feel this conviction strongly that we are not going to drift into being a Word and Spirit church. Right there's there people for whatever reason that seems that it's it's there's a natural um, gravitation to one pool or the other. Is it more intellectual or more emotional? We're just different in how we're wired. But I believe that God is wanting to ground us and root us in the Word of God to bring a union between how the Spirit is moving in this community, which is beautiful, and I love the expressions of the Holy Spirit, but also uh, grounding that now in the same that we have the same love and intense delight and pleasure in the word of god that we do in the way the spirit moves is does that, does that resonate so that's just my own conviction i believe that you're not going to drift into that it is a there's a divide right now particularly in western christianity we're going to set the we're going to almost have to be forcefully and intentionally brought back together. We're not going to drift into it. We're going to set the intention. And for me, um, the Lord's been correcting me and setting my own intention to even become a, a, a better student of the Word of God. And so I'm going to bring you into my own, uh, my own conviction. So, you excited? <laughs> you ready to be convicted tonight? No, that's not my goal. You guys got real somber there. So, I'm just going to encourage you, to comfort you. I'm going to coddle you. Let's come up here close. You guys are tough right now I think I'm funny all right so here's a, a few a few um, just these are these are a few freebies before I get started and uh, I, I think they're important though Uh the first is that when we are approaching Scripture uh, to come and understand it and look at uh, the components and the dynamics of it. And I talked last week about how, you know, we're to, the, the Bible is this incarnational uh, piece of art, really, where it's both divine, it's the eternal word of God, and it's also human. It is spoken to a historical particularity, which is a fancy way of saying in a human context, with a human culture and a human specific, you know, there's a reason that it came out. And so it's the eternal word of God, it's divinely inspired, and yet it has uh, a human particularity, right? And we use this we use this word inspired, I want you to say that, and say inspired, Now say inspired like you're inspired. Inspired. I like that, right? So the scriptures are inspired. We say this a lot. And they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? So when we are coming uh, and studying the word of God and studying the context in which it was given and, and the particulars of this word and the different genres of scripture, we are actually learning to become familiar with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word of God. And the Word of God is multifaceted. It's nuanced. There's poetry. There's narrative. There's epistle. There's gospel. There's all types of different books which reveals that the Holy Spirit actually communicates uniquely with human beings. He's not a cookie cutter. He doesn't just do this certain single way. He speaks in a plethora of ways, and he engages with humans uniquely in unique situations. And so when we are coming to the Word, we're not just coming to study it to get to know the book. We're getting to know the Holy Spirit who wrote the book through human beings, and we're getting to see, wow, I realize this is how you speak into that situation. This is how you speak there. This is how you speak there, and we're becoming versed in how the Holy Spirit communicates. So this is is special. This is is important. This is awesome, really. And the second thing, that this may be the most important thing I say tonight, is that the study of scripture is an act of worship. Right? It is an act of worship, which means the, the, the object, the, 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 the motivation, the desire is, is focused on God, not on ourselves. Right? And I believe there's been an overemphasis, particularly in evangelical Christianity, uh, around a devotional approach to the Word of God, right? Which is when I come to the Scriptures hoping that God is going to speak to me, right? That's this good. We, we the the Bible is a beautiful devotional tool, but devotional d- devotion reading the Bible devotionally is not bad, but it is far from complete. Right? And what we do is, if that's the only way that I ever come to the scripture, is to read it devotionally, hoping God's going to speak to me personally and into my context, into my story. I'm actually developing a self centered way of reading the Bible that revolves around me. And I'm training myself to be a consumer as I come to the Word of God. Right? Where the reality is the reason I'm coming to scripture, I believe that we should come to scripture as a selling on. It's actually all about, you know. My life's actually not the most important thing going on. It's actually all about you, Jesus. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to self-empty, and I just want to behold you. I just want to see your story. I just want to study and come into a knowledge of the holy. I just, I just want to see the story that you've been writing across generations. I don't, I don't necessarily need to come to consume for me, me, me. I'm actually coming to worship you so I can behold you and see how you move. And the story that you're writing and the thing that you've been authoring and completing generation after generation after generation. Does that, does that make sense? I believe that the Bible is not first a devotional tool, it is first an act of worship. So I'm coming to worship God, which means I'm letting my agenda go. Sometimes we don't realize it, but we're actually coming to the Word of God with my agenda when I need to be fed. Me, me, me. This is not speaking to me. This is not speaking to me. Well, just hold on, hold on. Worship God first. Just, just worship Him. Just behold the beauty of how the Holy Spirit has been speaking through humanity and the story that God's been authoring. Just behold Him, right? And then you'll find yourself within Him, because we're made within His image. It's in Him we move and exist and have our being, right? Sometimes we try to jump and we want to force the Bible to speak to me. It's not. No, no, no. I'm just trying to see Him. Does that make sense? So we're going to come as, as worship. So I start that all off tonight to say that um, everything I talk about, it is going to be more intellectually wired tonight, but it is an act of absolute worship to Jesus, right? Studying, using my mind, loving the Lord my God with all my mind, engaging in, w- with the scripture he's given me is an act of worship unto Jesus. I'm coming to behold God. Okay. You ready? You want to buckle up? Okay. So I'm going to use some like academic words, but I promise you they sound scary, but they define things that you and me do all the time. I'm just going to give you language to help start defining what you've been doing on your own. Okay? Is that fair? All right. So the first word tonight is uh, exegesis. So can you say that? Yeah, say it like you're inspired. Exeg- aren't you just dying to know what exegesis means? Who, who's excited right now? Like we're stimulating the mind. We get to learn things tonight. That is a miracle that we can learn things. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyways, exegesis. Exegesis asks this question. Uh, what is the original tent of intent of the words in the Bible? Right, so I, th- this is what I'm speaking of the context, right? So when I'm exegeting scripture, I'm coming and I'm trying to find the, the setting. Uh, who who was the, the book written to? When was it written? Was it in the Roman Empire? Was it under the rule of Pharaoh? Is it to the Israelites? Is it in, you know, I'm trying to learn all just the historical setting of it. I'm trying to learn the occasion of the book. Why did Paul write this book? Why did David write this psalm? Right, we're trying to figure out the why of the book. And then uh, lastly, uh, when it comes to exegesis, uh, I'm trying to find uh, the, literary, the literary content. What is the point of these words? What, like, what, what does this mean? Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to discover what did it mean when I'm exegeting scripture. I'm trying to figure out what did it mean to, like, say Paul wrote a book. What, it, what did these words mean to Paul? And then say it's the book of Galatians. What did these words mean to the church in Galatia? Right, so that's exegesis. Say it one more time, exegesis. Right, it asks what uh, do the words of the Bible, the original words uh, of the Bible, mean? Okay, and then the next word is uh, hermeneutics. Can we say that? Herman, Herman who? Herman. Nudics. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. That's just my cheesy personality coming out. Uh, Hermeneutics, right? And hermeneutics asks this. It says, what does the Bible mean for us today? Right? So exegesis is grounding in the historical context of what did these words mean. Hermeneutics is then saying, now what does those words spoken in those contexts, what do those mean for me and for us as the community of God today? Does that make sense? It's, It's translating it across time, and into different cultures, right? And hermeneutics is a little more complex, and I'll be talking about some her- her- hermeneutical tools over the next uh, few uh, few weeks as we're engaging with different passages of Scripture, and tonight I'm more going to give you a lot of tools in the toolbox, and then I'm going to start a journey next week where we're going to go through um, the history of of God's story and and, and look at the themes and look at what He's been writing across time as we engage with different Scripture passages um, in, in healthy ways, right? So the reality with both exegesis and hermeneutics is that you can have good exegesis, you can have bad exegesis, right? You can have really healthy hermeneutical tools and approaches to the scripture, and you can have bad ones, right? And this sounds so, uh, so academic, but it's not, right? So ha- who of you, have you ever uh, either said this or you've heard someone say this about the Bible? You say, oh, well, Jesus said this, but in that day, it actually meant this. Who said that? Right? You were practicing exegesis. Right? And let me just talk in the language of what many of you operate in. Um, You know, so say you feel like God is speaking to you a a word from the Lord, and uh, you you get a a picture for somebody else you're supposed to share, and uh, say the picture for the sake of of this example is you see uh, David as the young man. He's got the sling and the stone um, from the passage in, uh, in Samuel where he runs to face Goliath on the battlefield. And you see him running to face the giant, and you tell someone, hey, Um, I I was reminded of the story of David when he took the sling and stone and he ran and faced the giant. And God, I feel like God wants you to know that you have courage and boldness in you. And you're like King David and you're a mighty warrior and you run into the battles to face the giants. Does that make sense? So that is hermeneutics, right? I took a Bible story and then I came and I told someone, this is what that story uh, God's actually wanting to speak. That's what it means for you today. Does that make sense? So... Wouldn't you say you do this every time you read the Bible? Yeah. All right, you're trying to figure out what do these mean, what did they mean there, and then what is God speaking to me right now? Right. Right, so these are fancy words, but they describe a very, very normal process that every human does constantly, trying to make sense of things and then apply them to our lives. All right. So I'm going to talk about some guidelines today of how to do this in, in, in a way that is healthy and grounded and will set us up to actually come under authority. Because a lot of times the problem is we will come to the Bible and we will read our own context, our own problems, our own situations into the scriptures and then try to get the scriptures to come meet into our worldview. Does that make sense? Right? Where the reality is we're not called to come and read into the Bible whatever we want. We're actually called to come and let the Bible read us. I I, what I get out of the Bible, I want to actually be in the Bible, not just a figment of my cultural context, whatever, that I stuff into that. Right? We're, we're learning to come under the authority, and I want to come under the authority of what the book actually says. Okay. All right, so I'm going to use tonight the example of the epistles. I'm just going to start with the epistles, and I'm going to offer some some guidelines that will help us exegete the epistles and then uh, use hermeneutical tools to apply them to our lives. And the reason that I use the epistles as the example tonight is because this is the bulk of where New Testament theology comes from. Right? So we have the, the epistles are all the books in the New Testament except for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Revelation. Everything else, I think it's like 20-some 20, 20 books, are epistles. Paul wrote 13 of them. And uh, this is the most clear and refined theological reflection we have on what the life of Jesus actually means, right? The Gospels are the life of Jesus, but the disciples half the time are like, huh? What do you mean? Can you say that one more time, Jesus? Right? They don't get it yet. Right? But the epistles are now on the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection. The Spirit has already fallen at Pentecost, and now they're reflecting on the implications of Jesus' life and what it means to be the church. Right? And the reason I use these as well is that uh, when we read the epistles often as, as Christians, we're like, oh, I just, especially the epistles, I'm just going to take them at face value. Like, I'm just going to read the Bible for what it says. Like, you know, Old Testament, that is a little different because, you know, those are to Israel. But this is written to the church. I'm just going to take this at face value. Right? And that sounds good in, in thought and intention, but it's actually impossible. Right? We, 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 can't, we can't read in face value um, because we, we're so blinded by our own cultural biases. Right, an example of this that would make no sense to us today, but in the 60s, the Jesus People Movement, have you heard of this? Right? Hippies were coming to the Lord in the hundreds of thousands. And uh, hippies were looked at in America as like, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Right? Free love. They were heathen. Right? And they started getting saved and coming into churches. And people were offended by this, and they started reading where Paul said, you know, men to have long hair is an abomination. And they took all types of guff and all this stuff about you can't have that long hair. And the reason I think most people were really offended wasn't so much just because the verse said it, but because the culture, the hippies had a bad reputation. You following me? Because in the same book, Paul also says how women shouldn't have short hair, but nobody had issue with women cutting their hair short. Just with the hippies having the long hair. Does that make sense? That's like a silly little example of what we do all the time. We say, oh no, I'm just taking what Paul said at face value It's not that simple. We have to learn to engage even with the epistles because these are written 2,000 years ago. It's a long time. Say that. Long time. Yeah. Say, a lot of things change in 2,000 years. Say, but the Bible remains. And I need to learn how to use it. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to offer some examples, and I'm just going to walk you through a real superficial uh, exegesis of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians. And I'm not going to read much of the scripture, um, but I do want to give one more plug, is that if you do not have a study Bible, this would be a great tool over the next few weeks, especially and really um, whenever you come to study the Word of God. And this is my study Bible. I've got, I got this about uh, maybe five or six years ago now, and I, I, it's not my everyday reader now, but I, I read it for a long time. And the beautiful thing is that these study Bibles have everything you need to do both exegesis and hermeneutics right at your fingertips. Tips, right? You don't need to be a PhD. You don't need to have like a degree. You can do this uh, right, right at your hands. Um, if you can get a study Bible, if not, um, you can use commentary or a Bible encyclopedia to help you. All right, and uh, so in exegesis, there's there's five questions. Um, That you ask and you can write these questions down as I talk them through and then I'm just gonna I'm basically gonna answer the questions as it pertains to the book of Galatians And I just want to show you that this is not hard. This doesn't take all the time in the world and also um You guys have homework tonight. I'm going to sign you all homework for next week. Uh, And this is the homework. I want you, uh, as I'm going to tell you the principles of exegesis, I'm going to tell you the principles of hermeneutics. I want you to read through Galatians or any epistle that you want. uh, Read through it once, asking these five questions of exegesis, and then read through it again, asking the principles of hermeneutics. Does that make sense? So that's your homework, and hopefully you all get A's. But, you know, that'll be tough. All right, so question number one when it comes to exegesis, which is, again, we're trying to come into the original intent and the original meaning of the words of Scripture, right? And the question, first question is, what do you know about the audience, right? What do you know about the audience, so, uh, with the book of Galatians, it's it's simple stuff, but you, this is important, right? We know about Galatia, and you can get this, again, from a study Bible or, or an encyclopedia, and also through reading in the passages. There's clues. Uh, you learn that the book is to a people called the Galatians, which is a Roman province in modern-day Turkey. It was called Asia in the day. And we learn that they were a young church, and uh, probably between one and two years old. So... Same age as Riverhouse. Very young church um, that Paul had planted previously on his first missionary journey. And so this is simple stuff. I'm not going to go deeper than that. Um, you know, you could get into the details of what the city of Galatia was like, the economic status. It's all in there, right? And you're just trying to get a, a feel for what Galatia was like. You know, as opposed to if you go to Corinth, Corinth was like the modern Las Vegas, Slash New York City, right? So it, it changes the way you're starting to get a grid for. Okay, this is how the Holy Spirit's engaging with this type of community. Okay, so what do you know about the audience? That's question one. Question two is uh, the what can you discern of the author's attitude? Right. So you're looking for um, uh, clues within the text that will um, help you, you know, understand the maybe the demeanor or the perspective from which Paul, in this case, is writing. Okay, And if you start reading in the book, in the third paragraph, uh, Paul starts rebuking them. (laughs) And he continues throughout the letter. And you start to glean a very uh, intense concern that Paul has. Uh, He says at one point he's confused about them. He's he's puzzled. Um, He's rebuking them. And uh, you see uh, that there's a real confrontational nature to Paul's demeanor in the book of Galatians. Does that make sense? All right, so you see how that can be important information? Um, you know, it's, not, it's like, wow, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Well, that, that wasn't the point of this letter, you know? That's what, when we read all the books the same, we're like, man, that's kind of different. You no, know, so we're, we're trying to understand Paul's demeanor in this, okay? So that's the second question, the author's attitude, right? The third, are are there any specific details that reveal the occasion of the book? And what I mean by the occasion is why the book was written. Right? And you, as you're reading through Galatians, you can start to discern oh, well, it sounds like there's some false teachers that they're trying to get people to circumcise themselves and do these things that are deserting the gospel and trying to, instead of deserting the things of the spirit and Start living by the works of the flesh and the law. And there's this dichotomy all throughout. And it becomes very evident that Paul is actually writing this letter to correct the Galatian church from this, uh, this teaching that was taking them out of the grace of God and into a works-based Jewish-type spirituality under the law that's condemning them. And Paul's actually trying to bring them and correct this church back into a place where they're living in the grace of God. Okay? Okay? Right? So you start seeing these clues when you're looking. Oh, yeah, okay. This is why Paul's. This is the occasion of this book, right? Which helps you understand because you're like, oh, okay, like Paul's not writing this to all situations and to all believers. He's writing this in this specific situation, right? So when we're not in hermeneutics yet, we're not saying what does this apply now. We're just trying to figure out what does it mean. That's the third question. The fourth is um, you want to um, break the book into its natural logical divisions. And when I say break, it's you wanna piece together the different arguments that the author's trying to make, okay? And uh, in my study Bible, there's like this little outline, they literally do it for me right there, and it's, one, it's five paragraphs with um, kind of subpoints woven within it, all right? And uh, that's again why a study Bible can be uh, very effective um, and a very powerful tool to use. Um, and it will just help you kind of piece it out, so you can see argument by argument. All right. Okay. Are we awake. All right. Then the fifth question uh, is: you're actually looking at the content of the book, and you want to read paragraph by paragraph by paragraph. And at the end of each paragraph, ask the very simple question, which is: what's the point? What does this paragraph mean? And the reason I the reason I say reading paragraphs and not sentences is because you, can't, you can take things out of context, right? Sentences are made to be read within paragraphs because that gives meaning and placement to the sentences. So read paragraph by paragraph and ask, what's the point? All right? So that is exegesis. Those are the five questions, the five uh, guidelines for having a healthy exegesis. So then you're coming. You're getting more of a sense of the story, right? And you can begin. And as you ask, what's the point, what's the point, you're starting to see, oh, there's like, I see the theme. I see what Paul's doing here, right? And again, I'm removing myself. I'm doing this to worship God because what I'm really looking for is how is the Holy Spirit navigating and speaking and what was he doing in engaging with this problem in the Galatian church, right? So I'm just beholding God at work there. Okay, so that's ex um, Once I have done that, I'm actually now and only now at a place to actually begin the hermeneutical process, okay? And in this, uh, I'm, again, I'm asking, what does the Bible mean for us today? What does this story now translate into for me, right? And there's some principles uh, the golden rule. Uh, there's a guy, a, th- a scholar, a theologian named Gordon Fee, who wrote a book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It will go deeper into what I'm opening up today, And he he says the golden rule of hermeneutics is this, uh, a text cannot mean what it never could have meant to its original author and readers, right? So a text can't mean for me and you what it could not have ever meant for them, right? And the example he uses is there's a lot of people, they will teach that, uh, I'm sure you've heard some of them, they say that the gifts of the Spirit do not exist in the church anymore today. Anybody heard that? right, that they're, they're they stopped, and their main verse is in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away, right, so their hermeneutic is that the perfect actually translates as the New Testament, and the partial are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so what they're saying is, when the New Testament comes, the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be done away with, the partial, right and if you live in by this rule this guideline that's impossible because paul if he would have said to the corinthian church when the new testament comes you won't have the gifts of the spirit anymore they would have said what the heck's the new testament you following me see the humor here happy right Paul, Paul didn't know there was going to be a New Testament. Neither did Corinthians. So we can't read that into it because we have that knowledge. Okay? So that's not, that's not, uh, so, so what this golden rule requires is that sound exegesis actually is what sets us up to interpret it in a healthy way into our lives. Right? If I don't know what it meant, then how am I going to know if I'm crossing lines and manipulating the text to make it mean what I think it's supposed to mean? Okay, so we have to do that. Right? So this, that's the first rule, first guideline. Second guideline of hermeneutics is this. Um, whenever we share similar life situations with the first century um, readers, God's word to them is the same as God's word to us. Right? So when it comes to the atonement, when it comes to salvation in Jesus, when it comes to being under the curse of sin, all these different things, those are the same situations, right? same particulars as we have. So the God's word is the same. It doesn't, we can actually take it at face value. Uh, We're all sons and daughters of God as we've received salvation, so on and so forth. Um, So the difficulty there is not understanding what it means. It's actually living it out and making it real in our lives. Okay? So that's number two. And then number three is a whole can of worms. Are you ready for it? It's such a can of worms, I've got seven more points for point number three. Don't, Don't you just wish I preached like this every week? That was a nervous chuckle. <laughs> Three people already walked out. You, want to, you can join them. <laughs> you know, I'm excited about the Word of God. So I don't care if you are or not, but I know God loves this Word, and I love it too. So we're going to be a people of the book. Uh, so the, the third point is on the issue of cultural relativity. So who knows what I mean by that? Right, so cultural relativity, it's talking about, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, Paul's just writing that to that situation. That doesn't actually mean anything to us today. That was just to that culture, right? Um, A lot of times we'll use that as cop-outs. I've heard people say, you know, that's like when the topic of homosexuality. Well, no, not that was a different culture. Paul was talking to a different culture that's different than the world that we're living in today. And then I've heard people say the same thing. Well, yeah, no, that's why women can be in ministry because that's a cultural thing, and those those... Things that, about women not speaking in church, that was just a cultural thing, and now it's changed today, right? And so, and, and if we just look at it like, yeah, it's, is it culturally relative or not? You can open a can of worms of like, well, can I make the cultural relativity argument for anything I read in Scripture that I don't like? You following me? So then some people say, no, I don't like that. You're opening a can of worms. So I'm just going to do the opposite. We are not doing cultural relativity. Exactly what it says is exactly how we'll live. And then you get a crisis one day uh, when maybe, you know, you have a kid, and they're like, hey, Dad, can I have an iPhone? It's like, well, the Bible doesn't say anything. It's like, should I be in public school or private school? I don't know. <laughs> right? like there's, the, the point is, is a lot of things change in 2,000 years. And we are living in a different day, a different age with different problems. And there are some things that we don't relate to. Like when Paul's talking about food sacrifice to idols, what are you supposed to do with that? into our modern, like, there's just different things. So the reality is we have to be interpreting Scripture into our modern context. We have to be engaging with healthy hermeneutics. And so cultural relativity is a valid argument, but we have to have some guidelines that will help us even navigate that when we can have the discussion about does something, uh, is there is there a new interpretation because of culture, okay? So here are seven guidelines when it comes to the cultural relativity argument. The first is that we must distinguish between what is the core gospel and what is on the periphery things like salvation sin redemption the second coming of christ orthodox christianity the apostles creed the nicene creed there's all these things that govern and really speak to the core of what you must believe to be in the christian faith there's a lot of things on the periphery like foot washing how many of you have done that recently yeah but you know the bible tells us to you know, or, or, head, or head coverings, uh, or uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that are on the periphery. They can be very important, but they are not essential to the salvation message of Jesus Christ. Okay? So there's a little more, you can, uh, when it comes to things that are the core, uh, there is no cultural relativity. They are the same, and they abide generation to generation. Uh, you can have more com- um, conversation around things that are on the periphery. Does that make sense? Okay. Second is... Is the issue inherently moral or not? Uh, When it comes to the moral issues and things that are specifically uh, communicated to be immoral, uh, those uh, the morality is absolute and it abides from generation to generation. So it's it's not up for debate. When Paul talks about um, multiple times, he has different list of sinful acts. Those are still sinful acts. The Bible's clear and it makes moral issues. uh, It's it's very resolute on what it describes. Uh, And, you know, again, when you look at things like foot washing or head coverings or women in ministry, those are not moral issues. Does that make sense? Those are cultural issues. Uh, They they may be issues that need to be discussed, but they're not about moral, if it's right or wrong. So when the Bible talks about things that are right or wrong, it's it's, um, in the sense of, you know, morality, it's absolute. Uh, Third rule is uniformity versus non-uniformity. Right? So there are things in the epistles, again, I'm talking about the epistles tonight, when the epistles are speaking, uh, other, there's uniformity on a lot of topics, like love as the supreme ethic of the church, right? That's consistent across the board. And uh, another one would be in the New Testament, like a non-retaliation, right? A non-violence, right? We don't find grounds within the New Testament to... Be, um, physical altercations um, with people—we find that our weapons are weapons of our warfare. Am I hurting your head? Spiritual. Okay. Are you following me? Yeah. You guys are really quiet. Am I hurting your head? Okay, so that's uniformity, and that speaks a, a standard that, that there really is a consistency in what the New Testament says. So there's really not much debate about cultural relativity, but there's a lot of topics that have non-uniformity. And the biggest one uh, would be, example would be uh, women in, in, in the church, leading in the church. Uh, there are examples where it's clearly spoken against, and then there are examples where it's actually happening. right? So uh, you have Priscilla and Aquila. And it's referred to multiple times that they have a church. And in, in that context, you, when you had two people, the, name, the leader was the first name. It was always Priscilla, the wife, then Aquila. So it's clearly designating she was the pastor of the church. Right? There's times when women are prophesying. Romans 16 talks about how women are, per, are doing ministry within the, within the word. You can go on and on. There's a lot of discrepancy is what I'm trying to make the point of. And so you can see there's non-uniformity, which then opens up the question about the particular situations that that was being implemented in. That makes sense. I'm for women's in ministry, uh, and that's that's why. There's a lot of arguments within it. So the New Testament is, doesn't have a standard within that. It was applied differently in different situations. Uh, the fourth principle, is uh, uh, or guideline, is that there's times when a principle uh, is applied in specific application. All right, and so there's a time I can't get the reference, but Paul, uh, he's talking about orderly worship, and he's talking about that worship is this time to give God creation or God glory. All creation gives God glory, and he basically says that when we come together, it should be to have our focus upon God and and give him glory, and we would not want to dress in a way that detracts from that. So he says that women should wear head coverings, which was like like a bridal veil, right? So the principle is in order that God be glorified, He then particularly describes it in that situation and that's what it looks like. Um, But I would imagine Paul probably wouldn't implement that principle the same way here next Sunday. Because if, like, half the women in the church showed up with full bridal veils, I think we'd all be wondering what the heck was going on. (laughs) That's really funny. Think of that. You should be laughing. Bridal veils, all right? We'd be like, I can't worship because the girl next to me can't see. Okay, I'm glad you're waking up, right? So the, the, the principle in some ways can be that applied to a specific situation would be applied in a different way today, okay? And uh, the sixth or the fifth is that uh, were there cultural options available? And uh, what I mean by that is on the issue of like slavery, sometimes people are like, why wasn't Paul like so condemning of the institution of slavery, I've heard people that aren't Christians be like, I don't like the Bible because the Bible upholds the institution of slavery and it doesn't speak against it. right?" And unfortunately, because we can have bad hermeneutics, we had a whole economic system that founded a lot of this country in the southern part of the United States that had a hermeneutic that the Bible supported slavery and created this horrible thing. Right? This is why it's important that we got to engage with these questions. This actually matters. This actually will dictate sometimes if you walk in life or when you walk in death. right So I know this is, Hard and heavy in a way, but this is vital and will actually prepare us to walk in the path of righteousness and not veer to the left or right with our own whims and opinions and assumptions as we approach the word of God. But actually to learn to come under the authority and the leadership of the Holy Spirit as expressed through the inspired word that he's given us in the scripture. Right. This is important. This isn't just willy-nilly. This isn't flippant. This isn't just for the smart people. This is for the believer. This is for the Christian. This is for the man and the woman of God. Right? So... People say that, why why didn't Paul denounce slavery? But you have to recognize that we're then abolitionist movements. We've seen into theirs, where in our cultural context, we've seen abolitionist movements. We've seen anti-slavery movements. There is a moral conscience that has been risen where you have an option to believe. In the world we live in right now, you can choose to support slavery, sex slavery, all this horrible thing is happening, or you can choose to not support it and stand against it. But in the Bible time, they didn't have an option. There were no abolitionist movements. There, it just was. I'm not saying that's correct, but you have to then look and say, okay, Paul couldn't have just denounced it. But how did they then engage with it? And you see uh, where they refer to uh, slave, and ma- slave and master as brothers, as family. That's different. Right? They're, they're still engaging with it, and it's in a way that is in some ways subverting and undercutting the horrible atrocity of the, the institution itself. Does that make sense? So you have to actually ask, you know, was there an option? And if not, then look at, okay, well, how did they engage with something that they took for granted to be the way life was? Thanks, Jake. <laughs> well, let's keep preaching right to you. <laughs> All right, the sixth is uh, there's often cultural differences that at first glance don't seem recognizable. Like um, when there's a few different times in the epistles where it talks about how we should relate to the government. And we say, oh, they had a government, we had a government, this is, you know, and it, sometimes it would be like, I don't understand how I could relate to the government the way that that tells me to. Um, but we have to take for granted that, yes, we're both under different worldly governments, but they're not un- they weren't under an American democracy. Does that make sense? So we actually have to recognize, oh well, what type of government were they under, and then how does that maybe apply to my different political environment? Okay, so there's a few instances like that, and then seven, uh, the seventh guideline is probably the most important one, which is we have to remain teachable. We have to have humble and teachable spirits that recognize I don't know it all, I never will know it all, and when other people have dis, you know views that are different than mine. I need to have the humility that I can have a dialogue with them instead of trying to tell them, you know, get in some type of a war, right? We don't need to war our way into the truth. Um, We can have honest, brave communication and dialogue ourselves uh, into the truth that Jesus wants to communicate to us. So those are, I guess, all in all about nine, nine different principles when it comes to hermeneutics. Does that make sense? Is your head spinning yet? Are you excited to get in the scriptures? Do you think that you can do that? So what happens as we take a step back and say, okay, I'm not necessarily coming to read the Bible's devotional tool right now. I'm actually coming to use these tools to study the narrative of God is it actually begins to open the Word of God to us, right? Because if you come to the Bible devotionally day after day after day, I know some of you have been there, so don't lie. Raise your hand and be honest. You're like, I've read this like 80 times. Is there something hiding in here that I haven't seen yet? Like, where do I do next? Okay, right? You kind of hit a dead end. It's not that it's bad, but you're just like, okay, I've read it. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. yes. Yes, he's given me all spiritual wisdom and, you know, hidden, he's opened eyes in my heart with wisdom and revelations, like, gosh, I love Ephesians, I have no idea what it means, though, (laughs) okay, so what happens Devotional is beautiful, but when we take a step back, we study and say, okay, I'm going to exegete the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read it asking what the point. Then I'm going, to, I'm going to take these principles, and I'm going to start asking these questions. How does this apply to my life? All of a sudden, we're getting a more thorough understanding of how the Spirit of God was speaking to Paul and navigating and engaging and what he was trying to communicate and why he was trying to communicate that. And we're like, wow, that's pretty awesome. And then guess what? Then you go back and you start reading devotionally and you're like, whoa, there's layers and there's a depth and there's this richness that I didn't see before. Right? And then, then I take a step back and I study and it's layer again. Then I come into devotional and it's like, ooh, more and more because I see the story of God, it's much more easy to find myself in that story. Does that make sense? So instead of I'm coming, I'm trying to figure out how does this fit into my story. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to study your story so that when I come, I'm trying to figure out how to get into yours. Right? Because his story is amazing. His story has grace. His story has life. All right? And, and we start um, really... What this does is, and and why I'm spending time on this is because I believe it's so significant, is that if we will come under the authority of Scripture, we're actually setting a safeguard. We're setting a barrier that will guide our lives so that we will not veer off into, into emotionalism and into these things that want to pull us aside and get us to go astray when we think we're falling. Like, deception is always out to get us. And I'm not like, oh, hey, there's a demon under every rock. Don't be afraid. You might be deceived, right? I'm not, don't live in a fear of deception. But I'm saying we have to be diligent to seek first his kingdom and seek and live in the truth, all right? And I'm just going to read a paragraph here out of Galatians, and I'm going to do a few, like, really hyperbolous stupid, horrible interpretations of this passage, but I think you'll get my point, all right? And if nothing else, just laugh. It'll make me feel better. <laughs> so this is Galatians 1. This is the third paragraph, verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. All right, so say, uh, you know, I had a conversation with somebody and You know, they shared things with me that are just totally outside of my grid theologically. I've never heard anything like that. I don't even know what you're talking about. And it's kind of disturbing me. And I come to the scripture and I'm disturbed and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what Paul's talking about. (laughs) This man is preaching a gospel contrary to the one I've received. He needs to be cursed. Right now I'm feeling justified by the word of God that I'm cursing this man. And, and, and maybe he it needs to be, but most likely he doesn't need to be. Right? I had a conversation, like literally last week, with a man that screamed at me with a sign that said, Beware false teachers, false prophets, burn in hell if you don't repent. And he literally was like, Don't listen to that man. He's been on a stage with a Roman priest and has defiled himself with the Roman cult, the Roman Catholic cult. I was like, like, dude, you just stood here on a street corner and denounced a billion people as being a part of a cult. One billion people. That's the size of the Catholic church. That's like more than 10% of the world in one fell swoop with his megaphone. Okay. A lot of times that comes from a elongated theological I feel justified building on really crappy hermeneutics. Right? It's like, "Well, where do you feel justified in being able to do that?" "Well, I read Paul's letter in Galatians," said it right there. <laughs> okay. So then, you know, I I've, I've, I've had people tell me this before. <laughs> I get it because it's, it's different, but you know how like sometimes people are like, I see an angel. <laughs> I'm like, man, you are way more spiritual than I am. I do not. <laughs> They're like, hey, there's an angel over there. I'm like, I don't know. All right. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, right? Like some people have this gift. I don't, right? But I've heard people literally say, I think that angel stuff's crap. I don't, I don't think, no, I don't like angel stuff. And you're reading, it's like, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. It's like, I knew those people were liars. <laughs> Paul just told me so. It's like, no, that's literally not what it's saying. That's literally, he's just using that as like a metaphor. Even if in the case an angel came and preached to you a different message, don't believe it, is what he was saying. So if anything, Paul's actually affirming that angels probably do speak. Right? It was funny. I was reading this book, and, you know, when I, say the, when I say the words, do not be unequally yoked, what do you think of? <laughs> that scripture passage says nothing about marriage. <laughs> I don't, you guys, I think that's hilarious. It literally, it says nothing about marriage. And a yoke in the Old Covenant was not even an analogy for marriage. Right? So all I'm saying is uh, we, we oftentimes just kind of, that, that probably originated from, that's more of a modern term of thinking of like being yoked with another person. And we, we, uh, we, uh, we make our own hermeneutic of that's what that means. And, and it's probably a good, it's an okay principle, so I'm not saying it's untrue. But I'm just saying uh, we have work to do in learning what does the Bible say to me? Right? And what does the Bible not just say to me, but what does the Bible say to us? right and and like i said I believe we're on this beautiful journey of discovery where the nuances and the beauty of the Holy Spirit is going to be revealed to how he communicated through the word of God and we're going to see with wonder and fresh perspective and new eyes this beautiful saga that God has been writing across generations and I'm going to jump back next week we're going to I'm going to talk about some different weave our way through this beautiful story that God's written and I'm going to I'm going to talk about some different ways that we Engage with the different genres of scripture and how we read things. So, tonight I'm talking about the epistles, and next week we'll be looking more narrative. And these are all beauty, beautiful, and have rich meaning. And we're going to learn it. And we're going to be a people of the book. And we're going to be so rooted and grounded in the scripture, right? We're going to be underneath the scripture. And what happens with any experience that we have, right? Which I love seeking experience. I love experiencing the Holy Spirit. I want us to experience the Holy Spirit in so much power that we don't even know what to do with ourselves. But I believe that God will not entrust the depths and the fullness of His Spirit to people that have not come under the authority of the Word of God. And I believe there are actually things held up in heaven that God cannot release because we're partially under the Scripture. We know the Scripture. We've we We've read the scripture, but we have not come under the full authority of the scripture, which means that when we experience the Holy Spirit, when we experience God, we will always interpret that experience according to our knowledge of the Bible. And if we do not have a grounded and rooted and pure knowledge of the scriptures and how to relate to them, our interpretations will be bent towards our own inclinations, which means we will manipulate them to serve our own agendas. And if you say, oh, you're just doing this to make me, no, I'm not guilty of anybody. This is church history. Study it. People get these revelations and then they veer and create their own thing. And then pretty soon, like 50 years later, the Lord has to give another one to correct it. Right? I just want us to be such a community of power and purity. Right, and I've said this, and oftentimes we think in purity. We think, oh, sexual purity, or you know, purity in my finances, or purity things like that in my behaviors. Yes, I mean all of that, but I also mean a purity to how we relate to the Word of God. A purity that when I come, I'm actually trying to discover what it originally meant, and then I'm I'm I'm, I'm wrestling with and diligently interpreting that into my real life. Right? I'm, I'm weighing it. I'm engaging my mind in a way because I want to know that I am receiving revelation from the book. I am not projecting my own agenda and then pulling my own thing out of the book. Right? you excited? Isn't this fun? Aren't you happy you came to Bible college without even knowing it? Let's just say hallelujah. Say God, give me credit somewhere. All right, well, stand up. I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll close with some time of ministry. But, Jesus, I just thank you, God, that you are uh, releasing grace upon uh, this community to be a people of the book. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are breathing upon us, that you are opening our minds to understand the scripture. And I ask, God, that you will also breathe upon our hearts and again just intensify the deep love and appreciation and value that we have in our in, in, in affection that we have for the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, that you are discipling us to come under your authority to wrestle with your Scripture and allow it to read us, allow it to shape us, allow it to mold us and not the opposite, God. We do not want our hands touching the Holy of Holies. We do not want to be abusing your Word, God. We want to be so surrendered and open-handed and molded and, 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 and crafted as you see fit, God. So I thank you for for what you're doing. I thank you for this story that you are writing, and I thank you, God, that you are poising us, that you're bringing us into position to be improv actors, God, that can beautifully demonstrate your heart in fresh expression that is faithful to the faith that was once and for all handed down to the saints. We love you, Jesus. We honor you tonight, we pray. and we say yes, God, to this mandate to be a people of the book. In your mighty name we pray, amen.